Well, that's awesome. Anytime we can celebrate new life, that is fantastic. And it just reminds us, too, when we see these little ones, just how precious uh, life is. So these young ones. And then in our last service, we had a baptism. We saw a new life in Christ. It's just all of these things remind us that everything has a beginning. And really, we're studying the book of Genesis right now, this book of origins. And it does teach us about our beginning. So if you would, please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. And, uh, or if you brought an electronic device, an iPad, iPhone, whichever way you do it, you can follow along the scripture in our app. There's a Bible there as well. There's Bibles in the seats around you. I'm just gonna encourage you, when you come in here, go ahead and open it up to Genesis chapter one. You know where we're gonna be, or the book of Genesis. You know where we're gonna be for the foreseeable future, so just have that ready. That would be fantastic. I'd like to start reading. We're gonna read a little bit of a lengthy section today, but I'd like to start in Genesis chapter one. And if you just follow along with me, it goes like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear, and it was so. God called the dry ground land, and, and the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds, and it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seeds, plant-bearing seeds according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seeds in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning on the third day. And God said, let there be light in the vaults of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light to the earth, to govern the day and the night, to separate light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the, the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. And then God said, let us make mankind in our image, 
in our likeness, so they, made, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild creatures and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I will give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And that right there is how all of this and how all of us came to be. Now, I know that was a rather lengthy passage and much longer than what I usually read here when we gather for worship, but I really felt it was important that we together as a church here, as we start at the very beginning, read through this first chapter um, in context, in one setting, without stopping, and to see and to appreciate all that it reveals to us. I think about it this way. If the very first chapter of the book of Genesis was ever turned into a Broadway musical, okay, you gotta use your imagination just a little bit. But if it was ever turned into a Broadway musical, then when that musical started, the curtain would go up and all the spotlights would turn on the center stage and they would all focus in on its main character. And that one main character is God. He was there in the beginning and nothing happened without him. Not only would he be the star of this Broadway musical, but he would also be the creator of it. He would also be the producer. He would be the screenwriter. He would be the set designer. He would be the composer and the conductor of the orchestra. He would be the casting director, the costume designer. He'd be in charge of marketing and advertising. He'd be the stage manager and the chief choreographer. Did I miss any roles in a Broadway musical? He would be all of those things. Genesis chapter 1, it does indeed detail for us each day of creation. But above everything else, do you know what Genesis 1 does? It shouts and proclaims this truth. God is great. That's what it does. Genesis tells us above everything else that he was there in the beginning. He was there when it all began. And from that point, from my point of view, that truth alone just shouts and spotlights the greatness of God above everything else. It's about his greatness, which is on full display in his creation. So in six days, and I think it's important that you know this about me, I believe it was six literal days as we understand them today. Six literal days, in those days, God in all of his greatness was on display because, because he made everything out of absolutely nothing. Now think about that. God made all of this. He made everything and he started with absolutely nothing. That makes him a great God. The Bible goes into some very specific details about each day of creation. 
So the first three days of creation involve God giving substance to this formless earth. And the final three days of creation, God is filling it up. Now here's an easy way to remember these six days of creation. On day one, two, and three, they are the places uh, that were created by God. Those are the first three days. In fact, I've got a graphic for you as soon as they put that up there. Uh, Days one, two, and three are places that were created by God. So on day one, you have light and dark. On day two, you have sky and water. And on day three, you have land. These are are, our places that God created. And then when you look at days four, five, and six, they are filled with the things that these places were created for. So on day four, it fills up with the sun, moon, and stars. On, on day five, it fills up with birds and sea creatures. On day six, animals and humans. And if you look at it, there's a correspondence that goes. So day one and day four go together. So day one, he creates light and darkness. Day four, he fills it up with the sun, moon, and stars. Day two, creates sky and water. Day five, what's God do? Fills it up with birds and sea creatures. Day three, creates the land. Day six, what does he do? He fills it up with animals and man. And in the span of these six days, God created everything. And what did he continually say during the days of creation? He said what? It is good. That's right. God loved it. It was good. He was proud of what he was creating. And then on the seventh day, the Bible tells us he rested. I hope you know this, but I'm just going to say it anyway. But when it says that God rested, it does not mean that he was tired or he was weary and needed a break and a day off. That is not what that means. When it says that God rested, it just means that he was done. He was done creating. He ceased his creative activity. That's all it means. He stopped, he rested, he brought it to a conclusion, it was finished. Now, church, I want you to know that we could spend a whole lot of time talking about each day of creation and what was involved in that, and no doubt, I believe that would be of great value to us as a church. But for our purposes today, I'm gonna trust that you are going to dig into that deeper on your own. That you're gonna reread it, you're gonna gonna get into it a little bit more, but what I'd rather us do today is I would rather us contemplate, spend some time looking at Genesis 1 and contemplating what that teaches us specifically about the greatness of God and more specifically, how God's greatness today impacts our walk with Christ. God's greatness and our understanding of it from Genesis 1 drastically impacts our walk with Jesus today. Now, I've shared this with you last week, and I'll share it with you again. I think the hardest part about preaching through the book of Genesis is what parts do you focus on and what parts do you not focus on? Because the reality is we could preach in Genesis for two or three years if we went through it step by step. So, I'm trusting that you're going to also be doing your own studying this. You're gonna be with your life group studying this out. So the parts that don't get as much attention, you will give that attention with your life groups and on your own. And I can certainly help you with that um, one-on-one if you would like. But today, we're gonna to talk about Genesis 1 and in the, the act of creation and, and, and over these six days, what does that teach us about the greatness of God and how does that impact us specifically today. I'm going to share with you that as we go through Genesis 1, I believe there are six realities about the greatness of God that we learn all in chapter 1. Foundational realities, foundational truths serve as the bedrock of what we believe today as Bible-believing Christians. And the very first reality uh, of the greatness of God found in Genesis 1 is this. It's, It's a very simple one to begin with. God exists. 
That's the reality that Genesis 1 teaches us, that God exists. And right here at the very beginning of the Bible, we have our biggest objection against atheism or that belief that there is no God. Right here, if you're a Bible-believing person, then you have to reject this idea of atheism because we know from Scripture that God teaches that God does indeed exist. His greatness is on display. He was there in the beginning, and he is great. And it takes us to the second reality. The second reality builds right upon the first one. Not only God exists, but only one God exists. Creation itself was not the product of many gods. It's not like multiple gods got together and collaborated on what the earth should be like and have spent the last however many years um, fighting over the, the allegiance and the affection of its creation and people. No, 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 no. That's not how it, ex- it came about at all. No, no, no. There is only one God. And Genesis clearly teaches that. This God is called Elohim. 2,500 times in the Old Testament alone, Elohim is used in reference of God and it speaks of his majesty and his power in naming him as our creator. 35 times Elohim is used in the very first chapter. Singular, one God, not multiple gods, and Genesis 1 brings that reality right to the forefront of our faith and what we believe. Now, on a practical level, why is that really important that we take some time? I'm gonna assume many of us here, most of us believe, yeah, there is a God and there's only one God. Practically, what this means is this. Our world is filled with many religions that worship multiple gods. The the actual name for that is polytheism or polytheistic type beliefs. It's just, poly just means many, theistic gods, many gods together, polytheism. And so as a Christian, as a Bible-believing person, we say, no, there is one God, which means any religion based on multiplicity of gods, which we know be false gods, we have to reject. It's a simple rejection. We don't even have to think about it because foundationally the greatness of God is seen in the reality that he is the only God. And so all religions that worship multiple gods have got to be soundly rejected. I think sometimes as I read the Bible, how frustrating, how hurtful it had to be to to our creator when he watched the creation that he made turn and worship false gods. You know, when, when the Israelites were in bondage in Egypt, they were subjected to the Egyptian religions of many gods, very polytheistic. When they went into the land of Canaan and they were supposed to take over the land and drive everybody out, the people they were driving out were polytheistic believe They worshiped many gods. I remember in the New Testament when Paul went to Athens, Greece, and he walked around and he examined, what did he see? I see you're very religious and you worship many gods. Friends, that's a product of a fallen man. It's not how God had it in the beginning. So as Bible-believing Christians, we know there is one God. He exists, and he's the only one. Third reality that we learn about the greatness of God from Genesis chapter one is this. Number three, the universe had a beginning. The universe had a beginning. I'll tell you, there's there's a mind-blowing part about creation, and maybe you thought about this as you were reading Genesis this week. Many of you took that on. But you ever wonder, hey, where was God before he created all of it? You ever wonder that philosophically? What was God doing before our understanding of time came about? 
That's one of those deep, deep questions that has filled many Bible college classrooms and philosophy classrooms, and they've filled many books in many libraries across our, our country. I, I won't answer that to any satisfaction for you today, but what I can tell you is that the bottom line is that Genesis speaks very clearly about the universe having a beginning. And at that beginning, there was God, and that shouts his, his greatness. Now, I hope this is no surprise to any of you here. I believe the Bible to be absolutely true, and I hope you do too. Every last word of it is God breathe. It's from God, it was written down by men, inspired by God, and so as somebody who is a Bible believer, who foundationally believes every word of the Bible, when somebody likes me, like me hears uh, uh, what I would call a so-called expert speak about the origins of mankind and about the beginning of the universe, and they try to speak very intelligently about this and very factual, and it all started here, and this is what happened millions and billions of years ago. Do you realize that at the end of the day, no one, not one expert, not one mathematician, not one astronomer, not anybody, can offer anything concrete about where the universe came from, how it got started outside of the Bible? They can't do it. If you believe that the universe had a beginning, and you believe that God was there, and that you believe that he is the reason behind everything within the universe, if you believe that, and it's foundational in, in your belief, then I'm gonna tell you, everything from this point forward gets very clear for you. Do you understand that? God was there at the beginning, the universe had a beginning, God's responsible for it, and if you believe that, everything else down the line becomes very focused and clear. What other realities about Genesis 1 uh, points us to the greatness of God? Well, here's the fourth one. God is, this is very clear in Genesis, God is distinct from nature. God is distinct from, he's separated from it, he is not the same thing as nature. God created the heavens and the earth and over the, the six days of creation, we just read, he created the land and the sea, the sun, moon, stars, all the creatures that move along the ground, that fly through the air, you know, all the vegetation, the, the fruits, the, the vegetables, the seed-bearing plants, nuts, everything. God created it all, but at the same time, he is distinct from what he created. This is such an important detail, and I hope you'll understand by the time I'm done talking about it, why this is such an important thing. It's important because, just as I mentioned a minute ago, that many religions are polytheistic, they, many gods that must be rejected. Well, there are a number of religions today and all throughout time that are more, I guess the, the right word would be pantheistic. They're, they're, they're based in pantheism, which, which literally just means that God and nature are the same thing. And, and Genesis teaches that, no, that is not the case. God and nature are not the same thing. God is distinct from, from nature. But there's been many religions to this day that, that worship nature, and they refer to the universe as the same way they would refer to God. I would say New Age followers say another, what I would call nature religions, believe that God consists of trees and air and, and water and everything else and the universe and the stars and the sun. They all are, are God, even you and me. God is, is all of us. And I don't mean any disrespect with what I'm about to tell you, but I used to, if you have any doubts that people worship nature, I want you to know that I lived in Portland, Oregon for seven years. 
You get it, right? And one of my favorite places in the world is Colorado. I love Colorado, I, I do. And I love spending time in Colorado. And I've spent significant time in the specific Pacific Northwest and in Colorado. Believe me, there are people that worship nature. And I don't mean any disrespect by that. I think you know what I mean. I, I had a guy tell me one time, he said, Joe, you and I basically believe the same thing. And I said, okay, well, tell me, what do you believe? And he goes, well, you believe in God. I said, that's right, one God, one creator. And he says, well, what you call God, I refer to, to a spirit force found in all living things. And I'm like, that ain't the same thing. Now, whether he realized it or not, whatever, however he came up with that, whatever was the foundation of, of his belief was really rooted in pantheism. This idea that God and nature are not separated. But, but this is all part of God's greatness. God and nature, they are distinct. Um, God, te- God creates nature, but he is separated from it. And I, as your pastor, I wanna, I wanna challenge you as a church, as Christians, to be, to be very careful today how we speak about God and analyze the words that come out of our mouths and, and really analyze them. In, in what I, is what I'm saying about God actually reflective of his greatness that we learn in Genesis chapter one? I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. The phrase mother nature. Although I highly doubt that any of us are thinking Anything other than just, I'm out in nature, oh, Mother Nature, oh, can you believe Mother Nature sure is runny today, that, rainy today, runny, rainy, oh, Mother Nature, it's unpredictable. There is some pantheistic overtones in the phrase, Mother Nature. Our world does not have a mother. Our world has a creator. And all glory and honor go to him. And I don't think I'm being too strict with that. Because our enemy is crafty. We're not to Genesis 3 yet, but when we do, you're gonna see the nature and the craftiness and the sneakiness and the scheming ways of our enemy, the devil. And we've gotta be careful to not allow him to influence how we talk about God when we feel like we're talking about normal things. I certainly haven't been everywhere in my life, far from it, but I do believe that, that um, I've been privileged enough to see what I think are some of the most beautiful places on the planet. Um, I've been blessed to see mountains, beautiful mountains, and valleys, and canyons, and I've walked through some of the most amazing forests, forests on, on the planet. I've been to some beautiful rivers, and I've seen all the oceans. Um, I've stood on the top and at the bottom of some of the world's tallest waterfalls. I've walked through beautiful flower fields and I've stood and watched over the the rolling plains of the Midwest. um, I've stood at the base of the world's largest tree in the Sequoia National Forest. And I've stood on the edge of the Grand Canyon and looked out and marveled at its vastness. And I've, I've sat on the warm beaches of the Caribbean with my wife and watch the sun, as big as I've ever seen it, go down and literally look like it just lands in the water as it goes down. Creation 
makes me personally want to worship the creator of it. That's what creation does. When Kirsten and I, my wife, when we drive through the Rocky Mountains, we do so with Christian praise and worship on our radio, on our car. Because everything that we're seeing makes us want to worship the one who created it. But many in our world, many in our world, they get this messed up. They worship the creature or they worship creation in place of a creator. And, and, and this is talked about in multiple places throughout the Bible. Romans chapter one, this is the New Testament. Paul challenges the church on this very thing. In Romans 1.25, he talks about a reality that exists. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. This is one of these strong realities from Genesis chapter one. God is distinct from nature, and that's foundational as Christians. Here's the fifth reality we learn from Genesis chapter one, and it builds off, off these others. Since God created the universe, he is obviously superior to it and also in control of it. So he created it, he's superior to it, and he controls it. Numerous times throughout scriptures, we, we see this play out, this superiority over nature. Whether that be uh, Genesis 6, we're not there yet, but in Noah's day, he had Noah build an ark. We'll be there in a few weeks to study it. And God controlled what was happening in the universe and flooded the whole earth and destroyed the whole thing. God is separate from nature. He's superior to it. He created it. He is in control of it. We're, we're not, not in this series, but as you move throughout the Bible, you, you read how the, the ten plagues in Egypt, where God controlled the flies and the gnats and the, and, and the lo- everything. Later on, you'll see God control nature when he parts the Red Sea and the Israelites walk through on, on dry land. God ordered a fish so large that it could swallow Jonah. He commanded the fish to do it. We see multiple times God would stop the rain and bring drought upon the earth. And as you move into the New Testament, we even see Jesus. What does he do? There are multiple times they're in a storm out on the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus says what? Be still. And the storm goes away. And even his disciples marveled and they asked the question, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? So the reality we learn in Genesis chapter one is, is, is God was there from the beginning and he created the universe and since he created it, he's obviously superior to it and he's also in control of it and we see that played out all throughout the entire Bible. I would hope that we would all be like, like, like the psalmist writer who said in Psalm 95 verse four through seven, he said this about God being the creator in control of all things. He said, in his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his for he made it and his hands form the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Boy, could that be our prayer and our praise today. So I hope our study of Genesis will remind us often of the greatness of our God. We'll continue to build foundationally the bedrock of what we believe as Bible believers. It will be in the forefront of our minds and, um, and it will be central to our lives. And the reason why I would hope and pray that so much beyond just the basic understanding, this is who we are as Christians. 
But it's got to be central. It's got to be foundational in our lives because right now, as many of you know, we are living in a world that wants to remove God from any part of our lives. You see it. There is an active part of people want to kick and shove God out of everything that we're doing. There is a movement of what would it be like to be completely secular people and not consume ourselves with godly things at all. I see it all the time. I was reminded of it very specifically earlier this year when a congressman from Florida on the, on the U.S. House, uh, the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives had the audacity to bring his Bible and read it during his time to speak. And, and he used the Bible and he talked about things of God's will as they were debating a certain piece of legislation. And as he was reading from the Bible, you can hear other congressmen laughing as he's reading it. You can hear people objecting to it. There was a call for him to bring his comments into order and he eventually had his comments suspended for reading the Bible and talking about God's will on the floor of the House of U.S. Representatives. And then after which a very well-known congressman stood up to the microphone and he said this, God's will is of no concern to this Congress. Friends, I would argue that God's will should be our only concern. God created the universe. He's superior to it. He's in control of it. And truly, he is a great God. But the world that we are living in today wants to push God out. Do, do you see clearly the tension that exists? Do you understand why we approach certain subjects completely different than from a worldly point of view that wants God to be nothing? Do you understand why laws are being passed that we are like, what are you doing? Do you understand why people today call things right and normal, things that would make our grandparents roll over in their graves at? Do you see the tension? We are trying to be godly people with the foundation of his greatness in our lives in a world that wants nothing to do with it. You see the tension? It begins in Genesis chapter one. How differently would our world be today if the vast majority of our population would just acknowledge the reality that God created the universe, he's superior to it, and control of it. But they don't wanna do that. Instead, many experts continue to try to explain away the origins of the universe in very secular ways. And I mentioned this a moment ago, but if you're paying attention to it, philosophers are giving their ideas, mathematicians are giving their formulas, scientists and others are giving their scientific speech that most people can't follow, including myself. They've made hypotheses and predictions and of how it all started, and they're talking about things that happened millions and billions of years ago, and it can't be tested, it can't be seen, and so basically what you have is some expert's best guess at what happened. Anytime I hear about things that happened millions and billions of years ago, spoken about with great certainty, my mind goes to Job chapter 38 of the Bible. Do you remember what happens there from our study of Job a few months back? God confronts Job and he says this very simple thing in verse four. He said, hey Job, where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. 
Job was talking about all these things and God says, you don't have a clue. Were you there? For two whole chapters, God starts challenging Job. Were you there when I did this? Were you there when I did this? How about this? Did you see this? No, you weren't there. Were you, were you there when I created this? How about when this happens? Did you have anything to do with it? No, you didn't. There's many scientists and philosophers and mathematicians and astronomers that I would love if they would just read and believe Job 38 and take some direction from God. The reality is this, is that the question of our origins, it is beyond anything that we can scientifically test or empirically investigate, to be quite honest with you. So where does that leave us? Where does that leave mankind? It leaves us basically with this. There must be some kind of special revelation about our origins because there's no other way to figure it out. And that special revelation is Genesis chapter one. Bible-believing person would go, our revelation from God, Genesis one, is the, or it's the most definitive, concrete thing that we have. <clears throat> and it still takes faith to believe it. None of this goes forward without faith. I choose to believe. I think the greatness of God in Genesis 1 is also seen in the sixth and final way. His greatness is seen in the fact that God created people. God created people. In verse 26 it says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. There was something different, there was something more special about humans, more special than anything else that God created. And after he created Adam and Eve, he didn't say it was good, did he? No, what did he say? He changed it a little bit. He said, it is very good. There's just something more special about humans and, and, and what creation, what Genesis 1 tells us about God's greatness, maybe more than anything else, is that at the center of God's core passion is us. And he wants nothing more than to be with us. So this beautiful and this perfect world that, this, that he created that we're reading about throughout Genesis 1, it actually is incomplete until he places the, the crown of his achievement, the pinnacle of his achievement, mankind right in the garden. Man who he could love, man who he could communicate with, man who was separate than anything else from birds, animals, sun, moon, stars, completely different, made in God's image. So as, as, as we move into chapter two, <clears throat> you're gonna notice that basically chapter two elaborates on what happened in chapter one. So chapter one lists out kind of in a bullet point way, this is what happened in all these days. Chapter two is gonna fill in many of the details, namely about Adam and Eve. Now we're gonna get into that more next week, but I'm gonna leave you with this. Genesis one is about the greatness of God. The greatness of God and the realities that come with Genesis 1 serve as foundational bedrock to Bible-believing people. His greatness is seen best in his vision for people. A dream starts to unfold, and his dream is people, you and me. And everything that he made was so very good. It's because we are made in his image. But in the midst of that perfect world, that God had created, something drastically shifted. Something shifted, and it forever changed the course of mankind, and that shift 
drastically impacts us today. That shift is really why you find yourselves in church today. We'll get into that next week. Let me pray for you. Dear Lord, I just thank you for Genesis. I thank you, Lord, for the clear teaching that gives us great understanding. Lord, I pray that you use Genesis to build our faith and understanding about your greatness. Lord, I would just pray that you help us with this. Lord, help us to see clearly and to believe. Any of us that are maybe struggling with this today, help us see clearly, God, that that you exist and that believing in a creator is still the most logical option on the table. Believing your word in faith, it's what makes the most sense, it's what clears up all the answers in this life, that you exist. And that, Lord, not only that you exist, but you are the only God who exists. And that, Lord, the universe had a beginning and you were there at the beginning and that you created and you were distinct from what you were created. So we worship you, God, not what you created. We worship you. That, Lord, we, we know from Genesis and help us believe that, that you were there at the beginning, you created the universe, you're superior to it, and, and, and you are in control of it. And, Lord, help us to understand ourselves in the sense you made us, we are special, And there is not a person in this room, Lord, that we know who isn't precious and loved by you. Lord, in in a world where it's easy to feel not wanted, unloved, and shot down, we're reminded about your greatness that when you created, we were on your mind. You created us in your likeness, in your image. You breathe the breath of life into us. And that means something very significant. Lord, I pray that as we move forward in this week, you'll ground us in these realities. Help us, Lord, see them played out in everyday life. Lord, help us to be humble with what we believe, but bold in who you are. Lord, this is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.